Well, good morning, Southview. How are we? So glad to have you with us today. Welcome to you all. If you're new, my name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview. So glad to have you with us here today. Whether you are here in the room with us live, you're watching online, you're in our special uh, mask room, wherever you are worshiping with us, thank you for worshiping with us today. If you are a guest, we would love to connect with you. Uh, no matter where you are, you can very simply do that. You can grab your phone and text the word CONNECT to the number on the screen, 910-424-1298. No matter where you are, if you're new to us in any way, watching, worshiping with us here, send us a text. Let us know. We'd just love to know who you are, how we can minister to you in the best way possible. That would be great. Uh, so typically, I've got one or two announcements that I want to throw your way. Uh, just to let you know what's going on. Today's a little bit more, all right, uh, because God seems to be doing a lot. There are a lot of things going on as uh, we have rolled out of our lockdowns and quarantine and kicked ministry back up. There have been a lot of things coming with that. So we've got a lot of opportunities for you to connect with one another, to grow in the Lord, and I want to make sure that you're aware as much of that as possible. Hopefully when you came in, you grabbed a bulletin. That's going to be your best way to know what's going on. We've got a few things I want to let you in on. This coming Friday, here in the sanctuary, October 2nd, we're going to have a night of worship. It's going to be amazing. I'm so excited. I want to encourage you this week to be in prayer for this. Commit to spend a little bit of time every day just seeking the Lord for this coming Friday evening. Just that we would come together as a body. That we would, um, as we come and we worship and we pray, that one, God will um, work in our hearts personally uh, for repentance uh, of anything that God would have us turn from that doesn't glorify Him. Uh, that we would come together and worship Him, uh, as the Scriptures say, in spirit and in truth. Uh, that God would move powerfully in us as His people. That's this Friday, October 2nd. We encourage you to be here. It's going to be great. Also, uh, this coming Sunday, not today, but next Sunday, uh, October 4th, directly after the 11 o'clock service, we're going to have... Uh, a special family business meeting uh, in the FLC uh, to vote on the job description for a discipleship pastor. You can pick that up on the welcome desk in the back. Uh, so we'll do that after the 11 o'clock service next Sunday. Uh, so the way we do it, our process, we put a team together, a search team. That search team developed a job description for the discipleship pastor and a potential salary range. We present that to you. You vote on that. That's what next Sunday is. And then that search team goes, selects the candidate, brings that person to you, and then you'll vote on him for the position. So this is that step in the process of, of um, agreeing upon the job description. So you can pick that up in the back and vote on that with us next Sunday after the 11 o'clock service. On October 10th, ladies, ladies, we have a breakfast for you Saturday October 10th 
It's, uh, they're working very hard on this. It's going to be a great time for you to come together, meet some ladies, encourage one another in the Lord, pray together, encourage one another in the Word. That's going to be Saturday, October 10th. You can sign up by texting simply the word breakfast to the number on the screen. Text breakfast to that, 910-424-1298, so we can know who's coming for that and be ready for it. Also, Thanksgiving's on the way. It's fall. Technically, yesterday felt like 112 degrees, but it is fall. We have college football, and all God's people said amen. It's time. So Thanksgiving's on the way. One of the things that we do here at our church is we put together Thanksgiving baskets uh, for people in our community who are in need, people in our church who are in need, and in our community who are in need. You can help us with that. Go to the welcome desk in the back. You'll find paper grocery bags with a piece of paper stapled to it. Grab that. That paper is going to give you all the instructions that you need. Fill it up. Bring it back in. And then we'll make sure it's distributed to families that are in need. If you can help us do that, that would be great. The deadline for that is October 11th. So you got a couple of weeks for that. So make sure that you do that for us. Grab that bag. Fill it in. Bring it back. Also... We have Halloween coming up, we think. So here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I suggest. If the state or city cancels trick-or-treating, here's what we do. We pull our money together, and we get a giant billboard right before the election that says, your governing officials literally stealing candy from babies, all right? That's what we do. But we think they're going to let us do that, all right? So what we do here... Instead of having a big fall festival type event on site, we encourage you to do a really good job at your house in your neighborhood so that you can connect with your friends, your family, your neighbors, and you can be a light where God has planted you. So if you'd like to be a part of that, we're going to have a training on October 11th. You can text the word Halloween to the number on the screen. That'll get you signed up for that. We're going to provide candy for you. We're gonna, if you want to grill out hot dogs for people, we're going to provide that for you. We're going to provide hot chocolate for mom and dad for you. We're going to provide literature for our church for you. A chance for you just to set up and say, hey, we just want to be a blessing and love on our neighborhood. If you'd like to be a part of that or learn more about that, text Halloween to our number and then be at the training session on October 11th. And my last announcement, I promise, but it's the best one. I saved it for last. We got baptism coming up. October 18th, we're going to have a baptism, and we're going to have a baptism class on October 4th to get you ready for that. So if you are ready for baptism, you believe by faith in Jesus, you're ready to follow through in baptism and show the world that you have died to yourself and lived new life in Jesus Christ, we're going to do that on October 18th. Sign up by texting BAPTISM to our number. That'll get you set up for that uh, so that you can be a part of that process. We can spend some time with you making sure you understand what it is and what we're doing and celebrate Jesus making you new. We're excited about that. That's going to be awesome. So that's October 18th is the date. Sign up by texting BAPTISM to our number on the screen. We would greatly appreciate it. All right. That's all my announcements. That's it. Any others? Forget it. I just quit. But I want to read a scripture to you. So today, as we jump into 1 Peter, what we're going to be talking about today, quite honestly, is you obeying God. Just going to be very honest. That's the point of today. God tells you things, and it's your job to then do them. 
However, my desire for us today is that you would view that perhaps differently than you have in the past. The point of obedience is not that you white-knuckle it, that you um, willpower it, that you're guilted or feared into it, that you try to manipulate your life and your actions to try to make yourself do good things. The point of obedience to God is that when you believe by faith in Jesus Christ, He literally, totally, completely makes you new. You now have a new heart, a new mind, new will, new desires, filled with the new Spirit of God. And so now, as you seek to walk in obedience, you are finally empowered by God to actually do it. It changes everything. Ezekiel chapter 36 is an Old Testament passage that's looking forward to our relationship with Jesus. And listen to how God describes what our relationship with Jesus is like. Ezekiel 36, 25-27 says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Following, being a follower of Christ is meaning to obey Christ. God is abundantly clear in the scriptures to love God is to obey him. And to disobey him is to show that you don't really love him. So obedience is fully a part of the life of Christ. But we are empowered to do this because we're made new in Jesus. So what I want us to do as we spend some time worshiping here this morning is as we sing, as we worship, as we lift our hands, as we pray, as we praise, as we open up God's word and let his spirit speak to us, as we do all that, what I want to be resonating in our hearts is the fact that you are now empowered and freed up to finally walk in obedience to God because Jesus Christ makes you new. And if Jesus has not made you new, we're praying that today is the day that he does that. So that you are set free from your bonds of sin and now empowered to live as a true son and daughter of God. So I want to ask you just to bow your heads just for a moment. And, I'm, and as I pray over us, I, I want to encourage you to just think about how do you view, how have you historically in your life viewed obedience to God? Has it been a drudgery? Has it been guilt and fear-based? Has it been legalistic, manipulate your actions? Or by God's grace, have you truly seen what it means to be made new in Jesus, be filled with the Spirit of God, and be finally empowered by God to walk in obedience to Him? Lord, that is our prayer today, is that every person in this room ends up there. Freed up, Jesus, in their new life in you, to be empowered by your Spirit, to walk in full obedience. Jesus, we ask that you would do this in us. We thank you that you have already done the work to accomplish this. I believe without any doubt that you are going to set hearts, minds, lives free today. I 
thank you for that. I thank you in advance for the people that are going to walk out of here different because, Holy Spirit, you have pinged their hearts. You have gripped their souls and you have made them new. I thank you for that. I look forward to seeing that and hearing those conversations because I know you're going to do it. Because as we're going to see today, your word never comes back void. So I thank you, Jesus. Do your good work in us for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Stand with us as we celebrate the work of Christ in our lives. He is worthy.
psalmist says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. I love that. Whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit then is no deceit. And it goes on and says, because of that, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy all you upright and hearty. He's talking about you and me, the saints, that he has given you a spirit of joy and repentance to sing and to celebrate church. Isn't that amazing? That through the forgiveness of Christ, he offers you a chance to submit in full obedience. And let's join together and let's sing that truth today.
Oh, Jesus, we just pour out our praise to you. Our, 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 our lungs are just, our, our lungs are filled for the sole purpose of just praising you. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you. We ask you, Jesus, today that as we gather and as we, we just keep worshiping you and as we just see Jesus, just how beautiful and amazing and glorious you are, not only are we moved to, to voice praise, but God, we live lives of praise. We live lives of absolute surrender, submission, and obedience to you because that's just our act of worship. As Romans 12 tells us, we just lay ourselves on the altar as living sacrifices and saying, Jesus, you burn me up and do whatever it is you want with me. I trust you. I submit and surrender. I obey in every single way, shape, and form. I'm just yours. I pray that this becomes the reality of every person in this room because that is your will. And I ask you that you'll do this today for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Hey, if you got a Bible, let's find 1 Peter together, all right? 1 Peter. If you're new to church, you don't have a Bible, you can grab one on the back of the pew in front of you. It's going to be page 1113 on the pew Bible. Uh, If you're using that, it's 1113 in the pew Bible or 1 Peter chapter 1. So, so let's get a running start of where we're at here in 1 Peter. So Rome, the world's superpower, it is the economic power, the military power, the social power, the technological power. Rome is the leader of the world. However, Rome is experiencing a great amount of difficulty. Rome is experiencing economic tension. Rome is experiencing political tension. Rome is experiencing racial tension. Rome is, there there are literal mobs in the streets. The city of Rome is quite literally being set on fire. There is great division as to who is going to be able to lead the empire moving forward. And in the midst of all of that, there's this little group of Christians trying to figure out how do you live in the midst of it. Any of that sound familiar? The Bible is not just about what happened in the past, it's, what happened, it's about what happens always. It's not just about historical fact, it's about the human heart. And things have not changed in a couple of thousand years, and so here we are. So as we dive in to First and Second Peter, we are seeing that we are citizens in the kingdom of God. We belong as citizens in God's kingdom, but we are also exiles here on earth. Chapter 1, verse 1 would call us elect exiles. Elect, we are chosen by God. Exiles, we are rejected by this world. So the question is, how do we live in the midst of all of that? How do we live as people who are chosen, redeemed, set apart by God, and set here on this earth as exiles, not quite fitting in? What we're going to see today, our big idea, is that you are different. Therefore, you must live differently. You are different. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that means that you have been supernaturally made new by God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that you have been recreated, just like he did in Genesis 1, creating Adam out of the ground. He literally, supernaturally, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, says that he has remade you as a new creation when you follow Jesus Christ. 
submit your life to him and he takes away your sin. You are new. You are different. Um, the word Christian comes from a Greek word, weird, all right? Goofy, strange, unique. You are not of this world. You are different. You are supposed to be, we'll see in 1 Peter, a peculiar people. We're different. Therefore, we must live differently. So what we're going to get at today is, how do we do that? What does that mean? What does that look like? How do we go about this? 1 Peter chapter 1, let's start in verse 13. Because this kind of helps us set a foundation, okay? Everything begins with your mind. Everything begins with what you think. Everything begins with what you believe. Our big focus today is going to be about what you believe. Where is your faith? The Bible is abundantly clear. You sinning is not about the act that you do. It's about your lack of faith. Romans 14, the Apostle Paul says, anything done without faith is sin. In the book of Joshua, when they um, sacked Jericho, but um, a man named Achan went in and stole some things from the temple and took it to his house. And as a result, then, they lost the next battle at Ai, and God had to go through the process of picking out Achan and, and taking care of him in discipline. God told Joshua, not that the people have sinned, but that the people broke faith. God defines sin as breaking faith. It's about what you believe. What you believe is how you will live. So what we have to do is first set the stage in what you're thinking, what you're believing. This is where verse 13 starts all for us, all right? Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. All right, let's unpack this verse just for a moment. It gives you three specific things, three actions, all right? First, it says this. Prepare your minds for action. Anybody, anybody rocking a King James Version today? Anybody got KJV? There we go. It says, gird up the loins of your mind. What does that mean? Gird up the loins of your mind. Well, what they would have for athletes or soldiers, right, they'd have a belt around their waist and a long tunic, and when they're going in for for battle or for athletic activity competition, they pick up their robe and they tuck it in their belt, right? So you don't trip, right? Same reason you tie your shoes. Right? I, I did a wedding yesterday and the bride was walking up the steps and she had like this, you know, the, the long wedding gown and she goes, she takes the steps, she steps on her dress and starts to stumble and in my mind I go, right? Anybody can fall on their face today except her, Right, so we want to make sure, all right, bridesmaid, pick that dress up, all right, let's go. Same idea, you're picking up the loose ends so that you don't trip. And it says here, prepare your mind for action, gird up the loins of your mind. What he's saying is this, there's loose thinking that's causing you to trip up. There's loose thinking, thinking that does not line up with God's word. But does God really love me? Does God really say that? Does God really mean that? When Satan came to Eve in the Garden of Eden, he tempted her with loose thinking. Did God really say that? Is that really what he meant? Right? Thinking starts to get a little loose. What he's saying here is tighten up your thinking. Prepare your mind for action. Gird up the loins of your mind. Tuck that junk in. Don't be loose with that. How you think, what you believe, 
matters. Then he says, being sober-minded. So sober-minded. So let's go at it this way. What's the opposite of sober? Drunk, right? Pop quiz. Do drunk people make smart decisions? Not that you personally would have any experience with that, but you watched the movie once, right? Like you saw a guy. Drunk people. The reason the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, do not be drunk with wine, for this is debauchery or dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. What, what the Scriptures are saying there is, drunkenness is a serious sin because drunkenness is a sin that leads to other sins, right? You do things drunk, you would not have done sober, right? Now, another pop quiz. So if someone is drunk, and they're making a bad idea, they're making a bad decision, do they think that's a bad decision? Nope. This is a great idea. Right? They're all in. They think it's awesome. Drunk people do not think clearly. They're making very bad decisions. They think those decisions are awesome. Typically, those bad decisions are going to lead to even future worst consequences. Right? That's the way that thing flows. It's telling you here, don't be intoxicated in your thinking, but be sober in your thinking. So what he's meaning is this. There are things that cause you, quite literally in your thinking, to be foggy and, and drunk even. Attitudes, emotions. You're, you're intoxicated by these things. You're intoxicated by certain emotions. Fear, anger, anxiety, worry, depression, guilt. You're intoxicated by things from your past, by hurt and wound from other people. Certain attitudes, certain preconceived notions. Those things fog up your mind, fog up your thinking. And you think you're making a right decision. You think you're doing it in a certain way. You ever been driven by an emotion? Said something at the time you thought was the right thing to say? And then very quickly you realized, ooh, I wish I could, you know, have like the Michael J. Fox flux capacitor, go back in time, take that one back. What's happening there? For a split second, you were not sober in your thinking. You were driven by something else other than the Spirit of God and the Word of God, and so you made a decision that was really bad. And the scriptures are telling you, don't do that. Be sober in your thinking. Be, be, be clear in your thinking. Be led of the Spirit and God's Word in your thinking. And then the final thing, it kind of sums it all up. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We talked about this in depth last week, so I'll just hit it moments here. What he's telling is this. Do not set your hope, your loves, your desires, your passions on the things of this earth. It is fading. It will fall away. It will not sustain you. Set your hope on Jesus, on his salvation, on life eternal with him. Set your hope, your glory, your excitement, your joy on Jesus and not on the things of this earth. It's telling you here what you think matters. Don't be loose in your thinking. Don't be intoxicated and driven away by your thinking. And don't be earthly in your thinking. What you think, what you believe matters and it drives everything. And that's where we're going to get for the rest of the text. There are, what we'll see in the text here, four specific things that I believe we're called to believe. And as you believe these truths, 
They change everything. They allow us to live differently just like we are, right? All right, so first is this. Big idea number one. Believe by faith that you are commanded to be holy. This is super important. Right out of the gates. You are commanded by God to be holy. It is not an option. It is not a suggestion. We've got a lot of military people here. You get a, when you're given a command by your commanding officer, right? They don't call it the suggesting officer, do they? It is a command. Your thoughts and opinions on it don't really matter a lot. If you have someone who's good-natured, they may listen to you. If someone who's not, they don't care. It's a command. And in the same way, what you have to set your mind to and believe by faith is that you have been commanded by God to obey Him. Pick it up in verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But, as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. He says, look, you're obedient. The word obedient means submissive. You are obedient, submissive, compliant children of God. You do what he tells you to do. Don't be conformed. The word conformed means to, to, to look like someone or something that you're not. To fit yourself into a mold that's not you. Don't be conformed to the passions, the desires, the, the longings the lust of your former ignorance. When you were foolish and didn't know, you were blind, you didn't know God or the things of God. Don't be like that anymore. That's not who you are. But, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Obey God in everything. Be holy, be separate, be set apart, be different in everything you say, do, act, think. Why? He quotes Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. You shall be holy, for I am holy. Brothers and sisters, we have to set this in our hearts, believing by faith first and foremost. And this is not a nada obvious statement. We've got to make sure we understand this. You don't get to live your life as if you're the exception to the command. You're not. You are called to obey everything. In fact, in the Great Commission, Jesus said, teach them to, you might know the word, obey all that I have commanded you, Matthew 28. It is literally the call on the church. Our job as a church is to teach people to obey Jesus. It is a command of God. But we come at this in two very sneaky ways. One thing we do is we either try to attack the Scriptures. Well, it says that, but it doesn't really mean that. Or it says that, but that was for them. Or it says that, but the language has changed now. It says that, but that's a cultural thing. And it says that, but we try to attack the Scripture so that it doesn't have to bear weight on us. We, We figure out sneaky ways around it so that we don't have to obey. But there's a second way that we do this. So that's more people who, who are uh, uh, more uh, I don't know, liberal, I, I guess, are trying to find liberal ways around the Scriptures. 
But there's a great way that good Bible-believing Christians do this as well. Right? It's not just, you wouldn't dare look at that and go, well, that doesn't count for me. You wouldn't dare look at that and go, well, that word doesn't really mean that. You wouldn't dare look at the scriptures and go, yeah, it says that, but it doesn't really mean that. You wouldn't do that. So what do we do? Oh, man, we figure out cute and creative ways to study the Bible, but never actually live it. Imagine this. Imagine, so we have four kids, and uh, our kids are all doing online school at home, which is, you know, interesting. So my wife's at home with our kids as they're going through all of this. And, and so since we have four kids at home all the time, that means our house is perpetually in the state of being cleaned, right? So, so my wife will tell you that cleaning a house with four children in it is like shoveling snow in a blizzard, Right? You think you're making some headway and you turn around and go, oh, forget it. So imagine we go home and I look at my kids and I go, all right, everybody right now, go to your room and clean your room. You understand? Everybody go right now, go clean your room. So they all disperse. And about 30 minutes later, they come back and they go, dad, I memorized what you told me to do. You what? I've been upstairs memorizing it and meditating on it. I can even quote it to you in Greek. In fact, later on today, I'm going to have some friends come over, and we're going to do a study together of what it would look like if I did clean my room. It's going to be awesome. While I was upstairs, I got online, and I ordered a T-shirt with what you said printed on it. Clean your room. So I'm going to wear it around town. Everyone's going to know that I know you tell me to clean my room. But here's the problem. They didn't actually clean their room. They spent all their time talking about it. All their time engaging with their friends about it. All their time posting pictures on social media of what it would look like if they did it. But they never actually did it. And brothers and sisters, listen to me. I'm not speaking hyperbole. I've been doing this since I was nine months before I was born. Right? I've been doing it in church for a long time. That is the air we breathe as Christians. How many Bible studies about prayer do you have to take? You're not praying. How many training sessions on sharing the gospel could we possibly do? We don't do it. Do you need another Bible study on how to love your wife? Love your wife. Right? I mean, you're staring at me awkwardly. Is it just me? Obey. Do it. You're not the exception. Your situation isn't so uniquely hard that you don't have to do it. Obey. I'm going to let that just hang for a second. So, we believe by faith. We set it in our hearts and believe. I am commanded to obey. I want to set in your heart. You are commanded by God to obey. Which brings us to our second point. What I want, my hope is this. Here's what I want, two things. 
I want one for you to hear that and go, okay, I believe it. I'm commanded by God to obey. Second thing I want in your mind is, uh-oh, how do I do that? What does that mean? How do I live that out? That brings us to our second point. Believe that you were made new by Jesus. You are able to live differently because you have been made new. You're able to obey because Jesus Christ has literally made you new. Pick it up in verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from your feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Let's, let's, let's stop. Let's I want you to focus on verse 18 just for a moment. So as you look at that section, the, the, the statement that all of this is hinged on is verse 18. Knowing. That word knowing is edo. It means to see and perceive, right? It's, it's almost sort of like a scientific term. Like you're, you have a hypothesis, you're checking it out, that's true, boom, I know that's a fact, right? Edo. See, perceive, understand what knowing that you were ransomed that word ransomed means to be bought out by a price right someone paid for you to get out of bondage you were a captive and someone paid a ransom for you to be set free what were you ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers the word feudal means means devoid of any force, any success, any power, any authority. Basically, a bunch of stuff that's going to end pointless and stupid. You were living a life heading towards pointless, stupid ends and means. It was accomplishing nothing of eternal value, nothing of real significance, and it was all going to burn up the moment you died. And you were ransomed. You were bought out of that with what not with perishable things like silver and gold but verse 19 with the precious blood of Christ the idea is this you have been bought out of your former life you have been ransomed out you have been redeemed and set free you were stuck you were in prison you were enslaved to feudal former ways that just kept you locked down. It seemed good at the time. Proverbs would say there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it just ends in your death. And that's exactly the road that we were walking down. It seemed right. It seemed good. It seemed to satisfy. It seemed to make sense. And you're going down this futile path that's going to lead in destruction. And Jesus Christ in his glorious grace by his precious shed blood bought you out of that and made you new. The point of salvation is not that you stop doing bad things and start doing good things. The point of salvation is that you stop being an enemy of God and miraculously, supernaturally start being a child of God. Your 
different. How are you going to obey God? By believing by faith that in faith in Jesus, you have been literally made new. You're not the old person. The old is gone. Behold, all new has come. You're different. You're new now. As we saw in Ezekiel 36 earlier, and we'll see it again in just a little bit, your old heart has been literally surgically, spiritually removed from your chest and a brand new heart has been placed in. You literally have had a spiritual heart transplant. You're new. This is why it terrifies me. It terrifies me as a pastor to see and hear people who say, yes, I'm a Christian, but they have no desire to walk in obedience to God. That terrifies me. That makes me seriously, strongly doubt your salvation. It's not the way this thing works. When you've been made new, truly new, you live differently. And in fact, verse 18, or excuse me, 17, if you were to back up, it explains what that different looks like a little bit. If you call on him as father who judges impartially, according to each one's deed, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Fear. Now, some of your translations work that word differently. They may say something like um, reverent awe, something like that. Uh, The idea behind that is the point of being afraid of, you're not afraid of God like you're afraid of killer clowns, right? It's not that kind of fear. But the fear is this. And a fear is the right word. Don't, don't, sometimes we, we kind of monkey with it. Fear is the actual word used here. When you understand, the point is, when you understand that God is holy and righteous and pure and other, He is your creator, He is the one who your heart beats because God says beat. Right now, electrons are firing in your brain because God alone tells them to. Right now, your lungs expand and contract because God wills it to be so. He is your sovereign creator. And you sin grievously against him. And to save you from that sin, he shed the blood of his own son. And when you see all of this, You don't ever, ever, ever want to be on the other side of an issue from him. Yeah, you're afraid of that. That strikes fear in your heart. You legitimately go, whatever issue we're talking about, what's I've got on? I'm on that one. I don't want to be over here. I don't want to figure out a way while my way is right and his way is wrong. He's God. I am not. So yeah, you... You conduct yourself with fear. You you don't want to be on the opposite side of him. You you want to be wherever he is. Let the fear of sin overwhelm the fear of God. The fear of God, since it's running to him, not away from him, we're so overwhelmed by how glorious and magnificent he is. We're running to him and we never, ever, ever, we're so afraid we never want to be distant from him. We always want to be next to him. Why? Because you have been made 
new. You're new. You're new. And it talks a little bit more about Christ and who he is in verse 20. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God. You believe, again, this whole thing is about belief, and you believe by faith in God because of Jesus, not because of you and you thought it was a great idea. Jesus made this possible for you, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Again, everything is about your faith. Everything is about what you believe. And because of Jesus making you new, you're now able to place your faith in God. You've been made new. New. How do we live differently? We believe by faith that we are commanded by God to obey Him. That's not an option. We believe by faith that we've been made new by Jesus, which empowers us to live out obedience to Him. And then verse 22, since we've been made new, we understand now that believing that our new life will lead to new living. I've been made new by Jesus, and because I've been made new by him, I am going to now live differently. My new life in Jesus always leads me to new living in Jesus. Anyone who says they have new life in Jesus but does not live new life in Jesus doesn't actually know Jesus. It's not complicated. The scriptures are abundantly clear on this. A tree is known by their fruit. You cannot, cannot, cannot call yourself an apple tree if all you're bearing is oranges. And you cannot, cannot, cannot call yourself a follower of Christ if you do not live the new life of Christ. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Newness in Jesus will always lead to new living in Jesus. Uh, Look at verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. I love that phrase. Let's just chat about that just for a second. So it's talking about here, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. That phrase, obedience to the truth, is referring to the gospel. You are submitting yourself to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we submit ourselves to the truth of the gospel of Christ, our souls are purified. What needs to happen for some of us in this room today, and I know you're in the room because I just, come on, that's what the Bible says. There are people in this room who need to today have their souls purified. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 lists this whole list of sins. You know, adultery and, and, and theft and drunkenness and idolatry and homosexuality and reviling and all these sins. And then it says, such were some of you. Like you used to live that life, but... Now you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. And it says here that when you believe by faith in Jesus for the gospel, obedience to the truth of the gospel of Christ, you're purified. Some of you here today, the reason you're having trouble obeying is because your soul is still dirty and it needs to be cleaned by Christ. We all know that we have something wrong with us that needs to be fixed. That's why self-help is a multi-billion dollar industry. That's why we're going to rattle off 
10 New Year's resolutions come January. We all know that innately in us, something needs to be different. We know that. What the Bible tells you is the only one who can really do it and purify you and make you clean is Jesus. And when he does that, something happens. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So let's just talk about this just for a second. What he's saying is this. When your soul has been purified by obedience to the gospel, you're now going to live differently. And he uses as an example here, love. So as you believe by faith in Jesus, you are empowered by Jesus to actually live a different life. And so here's how it describes how love works now. If you really believe in Jesus and you're changed by Jesus, here's how love works for you now. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. That word sincere means genuine and not fake. Right? So it's not... Ugh, there's so-and-so. You believe what she did? You believe what he said? Cannot believe that. That guy. Whoa. Oh, here he comes. Here he comes. What's up? How are you? Fake. Verse 22 would tell you that's sin. You need to repent of that. We'll be singing here in a minute. We'll give you time to do so. There is a change of heart that happens when you actually meet Jesus. It goes on to say also that you'll love one another earnestly. The word earnestly means intently, not half-heartedly, not somewhat, not a little bit until they tick you off way too much, but earnestly, intently loving from a pure heart since you've been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Your new life will lead to a new living. You believe by faith that you are commanded by God to obey. You believe by faith that you've been made new by Jesus. You believe by faith that this new life in Jesus is going to lead to new living. And then you see the last thing. We believe that God's word is going to do everything it promises to do. Look at verse 24. It quotes Isaiah 40 verses 6 through 8 it says for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass the grass withers and the flower falls but the word of the Lord remains forever and this word is the good news that we preach to you when it says there in Isaiah 40 that the word of the Lord is going to last forever Two things. One, it's referring to the the Bible as a whole, right? God's Word never fails, never stops. And so as we talk about growing in obedience to the Lord and walking in obedience to the Lord, when it says here that we are sanctified out, it doesn't mean that we are perfect now, but we are walking out a different life. We're different. When we sin, we see it as sin. We repent of it as sin, and we seek to walk in holiness. Not that we never sin, but when we do, we are immediately convicted, and we seek to walk in in repentance. We are living differently. We are seeking to be holy, set apart, just like God is. And how we do this is by allowing God's word to do his great work in us. And as verse 25 ends, this word is the good news that was preached to you. The good news, the gospel. Here's the truth. You are able to live a holy, set apart, different life because Jesus Christ has made you new. He's made you new. I'm going to ask our band to come up. 
And as they do so, I'm going to, I want to read again for us Ezekiel 36 that I began our time with here this morning. You have been made different through Jesus Christ. Therefore, you are called by God to live differently. And, and yes, that takes work and effort. I like the theologian Wayne Grudem calls it um, uh, grace-driven effort. You work for it. You strive for it. You, you, you mine out the word of God. You labor in prayer. You work for it. You encourage one another. You rub up against one another as iron sharpening iron. You do all the things you have to do to grow in holiness. But what's going to empower you to do that is knowing and understanding that you have been made new. So I want to encourage you just to bow your heads just for a moment. I'm going to pray over us. I'm going to pray this scripture over us. And then our, our band is going to lead us in. And I'm not going to ask you to stand and sing. Our band's just going to lead us. And I want to ask you that you just take some time this morning just to, you can pray right where you are. You can come up front here, whatever you'd like. But today's a day for you and I both to ask the Spirit of God to search our hearts and show us, are we living out the new life that we've been given in Jesus? Are we actively seeking to walk out a holy, set-apart life? Ezekiel 36 says this. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and carefully obey my rules. Jesus, I ask you today, ignite in us an understanding of the truth that we have been made new in you, Jesus, and as a result, we are empowered to work out our salvation with fear and trembling and walk in obedience. Show us today the areas that we are not obeying. Show us today the areas that we must confess and repent. But more importantly, show us today the truth of the gospel of Christ that we are made new and changed by you. And if there's anyone here this morning God, I pray that you, that, that needs to know you as Lord, needs to be purified. I pray today that they would see and understand Jesus, that you came and you died and you rose again to purify them and make them new. If that's you today, confess your sin. Tell Jesus that you have walked contrary to him. You've gone your own futile way. You realize it's nothing and it's not going to end anywhere. Ask him to take away that sin and make you new. Thank you, Jesus. Do this in us for your glory. In your name, amen.
pray, God, that we would be obedient in every aspect, in every corner of our lives, God. That when the world looks at us, they see something so different, so remarkably changed, that they can't help but just wonder and marvel at your work. I pray that you would use this body, turn us back to you, God, that we would have contrite hearts and spirits. Lord, heal what is broken. Bring home what is lost. Turn our hearts back to you, God. Father, we love you, and in this we ask in the precious name of Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.